The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, December 4th, 2022, here um, in Long Island, New York. On the show tonight, I got Jay Fiedler coming on in just a couple of minutes. We'll discuss the Jets, his football life, and a little bit later, we'll go over the Giants tie. And just for the record, I hate ties. Before we begin, I just want to remind everybody you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. And if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcast. Got to, of course, shout out my man Brian Graves behind the glass. Brian, how we doing? Got the thumbs up from Brian. Always need that. So, as Jet, as a Jeff fan, I'm used to the the disappointment that comes with high stake Jet games, and this was today was one of those that just really hurt. And we're going to talk about that with my guest today, Long Island football legend, former Dolphin quarterback, former Jet quarterback, and runs the primetime sports camps here on Long Island. Jay Fiedler, Jay, thank you for taking the time tonight. Oh, my pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We're going to jump right in. Uh, you were a multi-sport athlete here on Long Island at Oceanside High School. Uh, do you have a, a specific game or memory from your high school athletic career that like really is, like sticks out at you that's like the top of your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there were plenty of memories uh, back in high school. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, my sophomore year, uh, you know, we were – uh, our Oceanside team the year before, uh, was 0-8 and, and we were, uh, on a losing streak and, you know, we finally got that first win for our head coach, uh, Coach Luisi, uh, uh, that year. That was a, a big breakthrough win and then we kept improving, uh, you know, from that point on. Uh, that was big and then, uh, you know, I think there were bigger games, uh, that I played in and, uh, in basketball. Our uh, Oceanside High School basketball teams were, were very good back then. Uh, uh, we used to battle against Hempstead every year, and uh, you know those guys, Kyle Ivy Jones and Tim Wooden, uh, uh, would always get the best of us. But we had some some great battles, uh, you know, both home away and and, and uh, some of the championship games. So uh, you know those were great memories, and uh, and then in track and field, uh, you know, just as an individual. Uh, uh, honors, uh, you know, competing and, and winning the state tournament in the pentathlon uh, two years in a row were, were certainly fond memories for me. And then you, you go to Dartmouth, you get you major in mechanical engineering. Is there any translation to the football field when it comes to the mechanical engineering at all? <laughs> uh, not, not particularly. Uh, you know, I got a, a degree in engineering sciences and, uh, uh, you know, I think the, the, the only real crossover is, uh, you know, being an analyst, uh, you know, as an engineer, you're always analyzing problems and, and, and solving problems and, uh, you know, trying to find the, the most efficient and best way to, 
uh, attack an issue or attack a problem. And, uh, you know, in football, you're doing the same thing, especially a quarterback. Uh, you know, you're processing information, you're analyzing, uh, you know, a ton of uh, different information, you know, a little bit more uh, on the clock in football than uh, in the engineering lab. But, uh, you know, certainly a lot of carryover in terms of, you know, the analytical work of uh, solving problems and, and uh, you know, both in the classroom uh, as an engineer and uh, on the field as a quarterback or a football player. And, and I imagine the mechanical engineering world would be a lot more fun if you had a 40-second play clock. <laughs> it probably would be. That's for sure. Uh, so a- after Dartmouth, you, you bounce around a couple teams, including the Eagles and the Jaguars, before you signed on with Miami in 2000. And when, when you got there, the Dolphins were in a transitional period. Uh, their Hall of Fame quarterback, Dan Marino, had retired. Their Super Bowl winning coach, Jimmy Johnson, had left, and in comes Dave Wanstead. Uh, what, were there like, were there a lot of expectation on you and Damon Heward replacing a guy like Marino? Well, I, I think, you know, expectations are all, uh, uh, they're all outside forces. Uh, you know, there's certain expectations that the media has, there's expectations that the fan base has, and then there are expectations you know, within yourself and within the locker room, uh, you know, and all those expectations are, are, are always different. Uh, you know, my expectations was, was to go out and win games. You know, I wasn't going there to be the next, you know, uh, that, that I wasn't. And, uh, you know, I knew how to win games my way. And that was, uh, you know, the way I attacked it and the, and the way I went into, uh, you know, those situations. And, you know, I knew going into, uh, you know, taking over for the team. And, you know, I knew that the media was going to always compare. And, you know, after a Hall of Fame career like uh, Marino had years, uh, you know, on the Dolphins, uh, you know, the same base in the media doesn't just flip a switch, uh, you know, that quickly. Uh, but... You know, for me, it was all about, you know, keeping things in perspective. Uh, you know, if people wanted to compare the way I played to the way Dan Marino did it, but, uh, you know, like I said before, you know, I won games differently. Uh, you know, I was able to use my feet a lot more, uh, you know, run for first downs, uh, uh, get out of the pocket, uh, 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 you know, play at bootlegs and, and sprint outs and, uh, you know, do things a lot differently and uh, utilize. Uh, we're talking with Jay Fiedler. Running game. Oh, sorry. Yep. Sorry, you had, you had broken up for a second. I, I thought you. Had, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're talking with oh, Jay. Sorry. We're talking with Jay Fiedler. Did you get to talk to Marino at all after you signed to kind of get a feel for what playing in Miami was like? Uh, no. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, Marino was moved on and. Uh, uh, you know, he wasn't in the, uh, locker room or, or around the team at that point. Uh, you know, but, uh, there were plenty of people, uh, within the, within the, the locker room, within the team, uh, uh, you know, from, from the front office all the way down, coaches and players that, uh, you know, knew the Miami way and knew, uh, uh, you know, were able to get me acclimated to, uh, to that team and what was going on there. And, uh, you know, and then I brought my, uh, you know, my flavor into the locker room as well. And, uh, you know, my leadership abilities and, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, my character and personality, uh, you know, melded it in with, the, you know, with that team. You know, every year there's a new personality for, for a football team, uh, and it gets built, you know, over time. And you and you guys had success right out of the gate. You go you go ten and you go ten and five your first season with Miami. You go to you go to the playoffs that year. And as of now, you're the you're the last Dolphin quarterback to win a playoff game. What one of the moments? And you know, this is not not the winning moment. This is one of the one of my, one of my favorite moments personally as a Jeff fan is the the Monday Night Miracle in two thousand. You know, uh, you had to bring that up, Andy. Boy. I, 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 I did. I'm sorry, but I, I, I have to. But what, 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 what do you, what do you remember from that game? Uh, well, look, I, I mean, that was my first game back uh, in the New York market, other than some preseason games I played, uh, um, you know, for for a few different teams. But uh, yeah, I remember just going out, and uh, you know, we had a, a tremendous first half, and uh, you know, got out to a big lead. Uh, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Vinny and, uh, and the boys, uh, you know, just couldn't do anything wrong in the second half and that fourth quarter. And they just kept, uh, you know, driving down the field and, uh, and closing the gap and closing the gap. They finally tied it up. I remember, you know, throwing a touchdown, I think one or two plays, uh, later and thinking that, uh, uh, you know, we just grabbed the game again. And, uh, you know, of course, Vinny uh, drives it down one more time, and Jumbo Elliott dives for for a touchdown, and uh, uh, you know and they end up winning in the overtime. We're talking with Jay Fiedler. You play with Miami for a few more years, uh, and you have a winning record with with the Dolphins. And as the Dolphins begin to transition with Nick Saban coming in, uh, you signed with the Jets in 2005. Uh, what what were some of the decisions that were going through your head when you when you hit free agency after the 04 season? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, at, you know, coming off of that uh, year, I mean, I uh, you know, I kind of knew the writing on the wall uh, in Miami when Saban came in, and uh, you know, they were looking to go into in, in a new direction. So, you know, my agent and I had a hit list of uh, a few teams that uh, you know we wanted to target. You know, some of the teams that uh, also targeted me uh, in that free agency. I, I took uh, three visits uh, that year. Uh, my first one was out to Chicago. and uh, um, You know, I had a real good visit. I was actually, uh, uh, you know, kind of excited to, to, to sign there. But, uh, you know, negotiations didn't uh, uh, go in our favor there. And then I ended up uh, visiting with the two New York teams. Uh, the Giants with uh, Tom Coughlin, who I played for in, in uh, Jacksonville prior to uh, going to to Miami. Uh, so I had a relationship with him, and uh, you know they were they had just drafted Eli, and uh, you know they seemed to be all set at the quarterback position for for a long time. And you know they invested a lot uh, in Eli, and uh, uh, you know I wanted to still go to a place that uh, that I thought I could compete. And, and become a starter again. And, uh, you know, when I visited with the Jets, uh, Chad Pennington was coming off of uh, a pretty uh, rough shoulder surgery. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to be ready uh, until just before the season. So I knew going into that situation that, uh, you know, it would be an opportunity to play throughout the offseason, uh, you know, show the team exactly what I could do. And, 
you know, let them see, uh, uh, you know, that I can be, uh, you know, the next quarterback here in New York. And you, you did get the opportunity midway through the season when Pennington, uh, hurt his, hurt his shoulder again. And unfortunately for you, you also suffered an injury in that same game. And I, I, I know it's a part of the game, but I, I have to imagine it bothers players when your, when your number is called and it ends prematurely. Well, certainly, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a great opportunity. Like I said, the reason I signed with the Jets, uh, uh, yeah, I knew Chad was was coming off of a, a pretty rough, uh, you know, uh, uh, injury with the shoulder. Uh, he ended up re-injuring it, like you said, uh, in the third game of the season. You know, I was prepared to to take that team over and, and run through the end of the year. And uh, about eight to ten plays later, uh, you know, I get tripped up, and you know, you think you're going to end your career, uh, you know, on a hit that's uh, you know a highlight film hit that uh, you know. Uh, you know, really blasts you, but, you know, really what happened is uh, a guy just tripped me up from behind, uh, you know, basically just grabbed my shoelaces almost, and, uh, you know, as I was throwing the football, and I just landed awkwardly uh, with my shoulder out in front of me and ended up tearing a few things in my shoulder and, uh, unfortunately, uh, did enough damage that, uh, uh, you know, after a year and a half, I, I couldn't rehab enough to, to get back to uh, a level that uh, allowed me to play again in the NFL. And do you do you think like you know, fifteen years later, you know, with with the advances in medical like medical technology, do you think that you would have had like let's say this injury happened in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty that you might have been able to to make that comeback now? Uh, like like something uh, similar like Alex Smith. I'm not sure. To be honest, uh, the the way my shoulder got injured. Um, you know, it was uh, uh, something that, you know, really is not repairable by surgery. Um, you know, it was more a bone issue that ended up uh, preventing me from coming back. All the soft tissue that, uh, that did get damaged, uh, you know, did repair in the surgery. But, you know, as I kept coming back, uh, I got up to a point where I was 70, maybe 80 percent. And, uh, you know, there was a, a lesion uh, and injury on the bone on the head of the humerus uh, that you know just prevented me from getting past that point and uh you know all the doctors said there's really nothing that uh, can be done for that we're talking with jay fiedler and as you're now sitting in traffic on the lie somewhere getting into the city for your <laughs> your, your your spot on jets late night on cbs which you can catch at 11 30 on channel two Actually, tonight's gonna be uh after midnight uh tonight because they had the late uh, uh afternoon game well, they, they, so they, we'll they, be on at about 1205 1210 so. there, there you go you got cordon spy it's already better uh so i, I want to kind of talk about today's game uh you know a close game against the minnesota vikings where it was really exacerbated by the jets inability to put the ball in the end zone and having to settle for five field goals which for fantasy owners of Greg Zerline is awesome, but <laughs> but for the Jets, you know, two of those touchdown, two of those field goals turning into touchdowns, is the difference between winning this game, a very tough road game against a good Vikings team, and unfortunately losing by five as they did today. What what did you see in today's game? Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the Jets had a ton of opportunities to, to to go and win that game. Uh, 
Yeah, I think they got uh, they got behind early, uh, you know, which put them in a little bit of a hole. And uh, you know, but as they've done all season long, uh, you know, they played their best football uh, late in the game. Uh, you know, midway through the third quarter into the fourth quarter, uh, you know, they mounted a, a really good comeback. I think they, uh, you know, did a better job of pushing the ball downfield with some play action passes for Mike White. Uh, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson had, uh, had the big reception. Uh, Bam Knight had a big play, uh, you know, there in the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, when they got down the red zone, they just kept, uh, kept beating themselves up. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought one of the real key plays of the game, uh, today was, uh, the, the quick screen out to Berrios, uh, where he flipped, uh, around. You know, they're on the five yard line. If he just continued back inside, he had a nice lane to go, uh, uh, to go into the end zone. Instead, he, uh, he, he spun back outside and, you know, kind of, uh, didn't cause the penalty, but, uh, you know, aided in, in fan getting that penalty that, that pushed him back. But, uh, you know, those penalties are killers when you're on the five yard line and you get back, push back, uh, you know, 10, 15 yards and now you're first and goal in the 15 instead of, uh, you know, down there and having chances, uh, right at the goal line. And then, uh, you know, and then obviously, uh, at the end of the game, you know, they had, uh, the three chances from the one yard line, uh, that, uh, they couldn't punch it in. And, uh, you know, those, those are heartbreaking, uh, when that happens. That is for sure. Uh, do, do you see this team having, like, sometimes losses like this, you'll see teams have one of those heartbreakers and then it just impacts them the rest of the season and things come crumbling down. Do you see this team having the mental strength to get past this, especially with a very tough road game next week in Buffalo? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the, we, we knew that this stretch right here was going to be a tough one. Uh, you know, when you, when you came off the bye, uh, you know, looking at the schedule, uh, seeing what they had ahead, uh, you know, you see at, at Minnesota, at Buffalo, uh, you know, two games back to back, uh, against two of the top teams in, NFC and AFC, uh, you knew that was a big uh, hurdle to, to jump over. Uh, you know, so them being able to get this win would have been, uh, you know, would have been huge for them. Uh, and they had it in their hands, uh, you know. But uh, this is a really resilient team, uh, uh, one that's, you know, like I said before, they, they played their best football in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, I don't see them backing down to anyone. They already went out and beat Buffalo earlier in the season. They had a great game against them. Uh, you know, they're not scared to go up, uh, uh, you know, to Buffalo and, and, and play uh, their hearts out uh, up there and hopefully, uh, you know, squeeze out a, another win against them. We're talking with Jay Fiedler. With, with Mike White having another pretty good game, even without the passing touchdowns, what, what does this mean for Zach Wilson? I, I, I think that White's going to be the quarter, starting quarterback for the rest of the season unless he gets injured. But what, what is the future, with White being as effective as he has been, what does that spell for Zach Wilson going forward? Well, look, I think this is an opportunity right now for Zach Wilson to just learn a little bit uh, and see how Mike White manages the game, see how he operates, uh, you know, see where the strengths in this offense are, where, where the weaknesses are, and, uh, you know, if and when he gets that opportunity to get back out there, uh, uh, you know, go and, and, and emulate that uh uh, and, and copy that and then bring, you know, his flair, uh, for the game, uh, into it as well. Uh, 
you know, Wilson's a much more agile uh, quarterback. He, uh, you know, he's got much more escapability. Uh, you know, plays better on the run. But, uh, uh, you know, I think he could learn a lot from, you know, the quick decision-making that Mike White has shown and, and spreading the ball around and getting the ball, uh, you know, out to, to, to multiple receivers, checking the ball down, uh, you know, when it's not there quickly and not, uh, you know, always trying to make a big play. Uh, you know, every play of the game. Um, you know, when you, when you sit in the pocket or, or escape the pocket and, you know, try and extend plays, uh, you know, every single play, it's, uh, it makes it difficult, to, uh, you know, to, to, to make those happen. Uh, you know, when you take some of the easy ones early on, then that allows, you know, those big plays to come later on in the game. Uh, I think he's been able to see, you know, the way Mike, Mike White has, has managed that, uh, you know, that those big plays do come and, uh, if you're patient enough to, to, to allow them to happen. Uh, and looking at the other side of the ball, the guys trying to stop trying to stop you guys, uh, the defense was a little bit up and down. The first half, they gave up 20 points. You don't see that too often out of, out of this Jets defense. But they did make some good adjustments in the second half and, and held the Vikings to just the one touchdown. Unfortunately, it was the backbreaker. Uh, they kept Justin Jefferson under 50 yards, but when when you saw that first half, was that was that those adjustments that you saw saying that what you wanted to see from Jeff Ulbrich and this defensive unit that they were that they got they were able to keep it contained as much as they could. Well, yeah, you know, look, they, they were playing against the you know one of the top offenses in the league. Uh, uh, you know, with Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Alvin Cook, uh, you know, they got playmakers all over the place. And, uh, you know, I, I, what I saw early on, uh, you know, I, I actually liked that of the defense, uh, was they played aggressive. You know, they were, they were jamming at the line of scrimmage. They were jamming Jefferson uh, at the line of scrimmage. Unfortunately, they got the, you know, a couple holding penalties that, uh, you know, helped the, the Vikings extend some drives. Uh, you know, they had a tough time, uh, uh, getting off the field on third downs early on in the game. And, uh, and that was a big key. Um, you know, but, uh, but they played physical and, uh, uh, you know, that physical, physicality, I think, wore on, uh, on, uh, on Minnesota in the second half. And, uh, and you saw that, uh, you know, how they struggled to, uh, to move the ball uh, in the second half. I think, you know, the defensive line started coming to life. They, uh, started getting pressure on. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he, uh, uh, you know, other than the touchdown uh, to Jefferson, uh, yeah, I think they contained him pretty well in the second half as well. And and that's certainly not easy to do as now that uh, Kevin O'Connell is the head coach. What they were saying during the game was that he went up, that Jefferson went up to O'Connell and said, "How do I get open like Cooper Cup?" And ha- having two Cooper Cup like receivers is a, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, you know, like Justin, just one of the best in the league right now. And, uh, uh, you know, for the for the Jets to be able to hold him, uh, you know, as well as they did today, uh, you know, is a testament to number one how physical they play and how uh, talented they are. Uh, you know, at the cornerback position uh, between Sauce Garner and uh, uh, DJ Reed and. Uh, I think the other thing that that, that showed up this game was uh, was Jordan Whitehead, uh, you know, really bringing the hammer a few times. Uh, uh, you know, every time uh, Jefferson caught it across the middle, uh, you know, I know he had the penalty on the on the one uh, early in the game, but 
he hit him a couple times, uh, you know, pretty pretty forcefully that, uh, you know, made him think twice about going across the middle against him. Uh, we're talking with Jay Peeler. He's got a couple more for you. We're going to look over to the next generation as uh, you founded Primetime Sports Camp with, with your brother. Uh, how, how did you guys get that started? Uh, well, that started up uh, years ago, to be honest. Uh, you know, Primetime in, in general started up. Uh, through, uh, really as a basketball, uh, camp business, uh, through our relationship with Anthony Mason. Uh, you know, my dad was a high school basketball coach, uh, coached Anthony Mason, uh, uh, the former New York Knicks, uh, you know, uh, all-star forward. Um, and primetime started up as, as a basketball camp for Anthony Mason. And when I, uh, ended up getting into the NFL, uh, we started, uh, you know, running football camps uh, with it. Been doing that for over 20 years, and uh, you know, for the past eight to ten years uh, on Long Island, I've expanded, you know, from running just one uh, summer football camp uh, a year to, you know, running a year-round program that, uh, you know, offers camps, clinics, uh, private sessions uh, to, uh, you know, players of all ages, all skill levels. Uh, all positions. Uh, you know, I specialize obviously in, in training quarterbacks, but I have a staff that, uh, you know, works with receivers, uh, and, and we run camps, uh, you know, that, uh, 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 work with all positions as well. So, you know, right now we're, uh, in the middle. We just started up our winter clinics, uh, passing clinics. We run on Wednesday nights in Farmingdale. Um, you know, for anyone that wants information on that, they can go to our website at primetimecamps.com. And then, uh, the other exciting thing that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to is, uh, you know, we've partnered up with, uh, with Pioneer Sports to, uh, build out and offer a, a tremendous, uh, youth flag football uh, league across Long Island. Uh, we're going to be rolling that out this spring. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, probably adding adult leagues as well. But uh, you know, starting this spring, uh, we'll be uh, uh, opening up and starting up a, a flag football league for youth uh, across Long Island. Uh, to get information on that, our website was, was just put up. Uh, it's ptffl.org for primetime flag football league. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to, to get that going and work with, uh, with, with the youth across Long Island, help them, uh, uh, to enjoy the game of football, to learn the game of football and, uh, compete and have fun, uh, you know, week in and week out. And that, that's absolutely a great thing. And when, and when the adult league starts up, please let me know because I want to sign up. Absolutely. I will. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Jay, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, you can catch Jay on CBS at around 12.05 with Steve Overmeyer and New York legend Otis Livingston on Jets Late Night. Jay, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate you having me on. Of course. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Giants tied. They can do so much better. We'll be right back. Listening to Sports Talk New York. 
Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of Hour 2 of WGBB Sports Talk here in Merrick, New York. I'm Andy Sukhoff, and of course got to thank Jay Fiedler for joining me for the first half. Uh, we, did, we did Jets in the first half, so before we before we jump into the Giants, so everybody, every, every football team gets gets their moment in the nighttime. I want to give a big congratulations to Fred McGriff for being the newest inductee into the Baseball Hall of Fame as he was unanimously inducted by the modern baseball committee, which included Hall of Famers such as Greg Maddox and Frank Thomas and Alan Trammell and several other executives and sports historians. Fred McGriff was the only one of the eight who did get elected this year, and that included names such as Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Don Mattingly. There were... Of the eight players that were eligible, every single one of them has a legitimate case to be Hall of Famer. Whether you agree with the the idea that people who were found guilty of using performance-handling drugs shouldn't be in there or not, those who say they should and just to get it over with because every, everybody was cheating, they have a valid point as well. And tonight it was announced that McGriff was the Sole induct the sole inductee of that committee, and we will find out who else will be joining McGriff in July. We'll find out the results of the Baseball Writers Association vote later in January. To go back to now, to go back to football, as I said, Giants had a huge game today against the Washington Commanders, and. I know sports is a business. It's all about money, and we, everybody knows that. But at its core, sports is winning and losing. There needs to be a winner, and there needs to be a loser. Ties are stupid, and they shouldn't be a part of sports. I know some. I know sometimes it, it's helpful, like for soccer, when you know you, you could go another ninety minutes and nobody's scoring a goal. The fact is, in football, it's so the way the game is played that. You don't see too many teams getting shut out. You don't see too many teams going multiple games without scoring. So there should always be a winner and a loser. Like hockey got rid of ties and things are fine. I they could they could change the rules a little bit and do constant three on three overtime until somebody scores and get rid of the shootout. I'd be okay with that. But a tie in football just shouldn't happen. And it for the New York Giants, it did not need to happen today. Today was the game they needed to win. They were coming off two straight losses, one to a divisional opponent on Thanksgiving in Dallas. Not a game you want to lose, especially when you're fighting for a playoff spot in a very tough division where everybody's over 500 and playing well. And I, I was like, I was half watching Giants overtime because the Jets were driving down the field in the fourth quarter. 
So while I was pacing back and forth, wa- watching Mike White go up the field and wondering, is this going to be the drive they finally get it in the end zone? Giants are in overtime, and I was kind of like flipping. I was flipping back and forth, and as I was watching it, it looked like nobody wanted to win that game. And given that the fact that they tied, maybe nobody did want to win that game. I I do have to give credit to Daniel Jones. He had a pretty good game today. You know, the numbers may not jump out at you. 25 of 31 for 200 yards, one touchdown, no picks. He did lose a fumble. He also had 71 rushing yards, so he had 271 yards by himself. Pretty good. Uh, he he's he's fighting for a contract. He he wants a contract this year, and he he knows that he has to show up and show out, or he's not going to get paid. And he he's been much better at protecting the ball this year. And given that the Giants are seven and seven four and one. You know, he, he's, he's putting up a pretty good case for himself. I, I like the, I like the Isaiah Hodgins acquisition earlier in the season. Most people were, when they made that move, were probably saying, who's this guy? Why did the Giants bring him in? But it seems to be working. I, I feel like every, every time I see him make a play, it's in the end zone. Or really close to it. As he went 5 for 44 with a touchdown in today's game. Uh, he's, he's a big guy. I, I went a couple weeks ago to the game against the Bears and we were sit, we were sitting like on the 20 yard line and you see him going up the field and he's, he's towering over every corner. Like you, like Daniel Jones should be throwing the ball to him every single time. And this is somebody who is a Darius Slayton fantasy football owner. And he's been, he's been having a nice, he's been having a nice season too and put up six for 90 today. So Daniel Jones is figuring a way to to spread the rock around, and he, he's been pretty effective in doing that. And that's doing it without without Sterling Shepard. Odell Beckham hasn't signed yet, so you know he doesn't he doesn't have like that prime number one target. But Hodgins is making a case that he's going to be a reliable guy in the red zone for you. So I, I have I happen to like him. I think I think he's I think that was a good pickup. You know, you know bravo to Joe Shane for. For finding him and bringing him in, and props to Mike Kafka and Brian Dable for finding a role for him in the Giants' offense. But really, the Giants could have used this win. They they needed a divisional win because they they had lost they already lost to the Cowboys twice, and they had four more divisional games. Both the home and road game against Washington was they played two in three weeks, and the two games at Philly. The two games against Philly, one being next week and one being in Week 18, where there there could be a lot of playoff implica- implications on. So getting that divisional win today would have been humongous for the Giants. And while seven four and one ain't bad, and it's better than seven and five, eight and four is better. And that just like in the AFC East, where all four teams are over five hundred and playing well and you know what? One loss can knock you out of knock you out of the playoffs. As the Patriots are looking at right now, sitting at six and six, watching as the rest of the AFC East has that has that spot available to them. The Giants are also in that very similar spot, where the Commanders have been hot, and that and it's not like they're doing anything amazing. They're they're just winning football games, like. Taylor Heineke is finding ways to win games, and they're doing that without Chase Young, who will be coming back in two weeks for them. 
They're doing it with a rookie running back in Brian Robinson who was shot five weeks before the season. And since he's, since he's come back, he's taken, he's taken the running back role from Antonio Gibson and not let go as he's, he's putting up good numbers. You know, put up 96 yards rushing today, 15 yards receiving. And once again, because I didn't have the foresight to think of this, I left him on my bench. And the 12 and a half points that he got are just sitting there doing me no good. And I wonder why I'm 4 and 8 in fantasy this year. I'm going to blame the injuries, but it's really just because I keep making the wrong picks every single week. And maybe, maybe next week will be the one where I say, you know what? I should put Brian Robinson in the lineup. And then I'm going to remember at 1.30, oh yeah, they're on by. Like I said, the Giants have a very tough end of the season with four more, with three more divisional games in their last five games. Three games on the road, including one at Minnesota where we, ju- we just saw today what a New York team can do in Minnesota. I, I don't, I don't know if the Giants have the horses to keep up with a guy like Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. And the Giants defense is pretty good. But we, we just watched the Jets defense give up 27 points to these guys. And I don't, I don't know if the Giants can keep up with that. I would say to comfortably make the playoffs, 10 wins is going to do it. So the Giants have to go three and two the rest of the way. I don't know where those three wins are coming from. Because those two games against Philly are not going to be easy. You know, maybe you get lucky. The Eagles already have everything wrapped up in week 18 and they rest Jalen Hurts. They rest Devontae Smith and the, and everybody on defense. And maybe, and maybe the Giants, because they'll be fighting for their playoff lives, will come out and, and knock them down a peg and get, and get their win that way. But they have to go to Washington after they play at MetLife against the Eagles next week. They have to go to Washington where they've already, they've already said they, they didn't beat them at home. Going to Landover and playing them in FedEx Field is not easy either. And they're going to be a little bit healthier because they'll be coming out there by. Chase Young will be coming back. That, that's a tough game. And they go to Minnesota. Which we just discussed, and you know, may, maybe they, maybe they pull, maybe they pull one out there. Maybe they, maybe they get into the end zone where the Jets couldn't. Then you got home for the Colts. I, I think they should win that game. Uh, may, maybe Jeff Saturday throws in a few surprises here and there, but the Gi- the Giants should win that game. And then at the link for the last game of the season against the Eagles. So there, there's a, there's a lot of very interesting matchups there. A lot of very tough games, and we'll see what this Giants team is made of. I I want to see, I want to see how they re, how they respond after a game like this, where they they did have every reason they could win, and they also had every reason that they could lose. Where like the the fourth quarter, they just I don't know what happened, but they just let the they just let Washington just go right down the field and score to tie the game, and then couldn't respond. And then in overtime, it just, nothing happened. It seemed like every time that something was going to happen and one of them got into opponent's territory, it, everything just stalled out and nothing. 
I, I want, I want to see how Brian Dable in his first season gets his team prepared for another divisional game when the, when you have to go back to back to back on those. And he, he's up there right now as a coach of the year candidate. And rightfully so. He took a team that was pretty bad last year. And he's turned them around pretty, he's turned them around real quick. And doing it with a lot of the same players that have been there the last few years that have been underperforming. That fans have said, get rid of them. We don't want them anymore. Uh, they're, they're bums. And he's taken them and said, oh yeah? Here's, here's what they can do. And now the fans, fans like them again. But now, now is crunch time. We, I, I, we said that at the beginning of the season that for both New York teams, we want a meaningful December football. And we're getting it. We, we got it. It's here. I had that nervous pit in my stomach watching the Jet game today, and I haven't felt that for a game in December probably since 2015. And it's the first time I felt it past September probably since 2017. Like for Giants fans, you know, they've, they've been like, they've been very up and down the last several years. And I, I have to imagine that that pit in their, in Giants fans stomachs were, was there today too. And it, that pit's only going to get bigger as we get further into December, get to Christmas and New Year's and, you know, you're looking for those two and third, the second and third win that pushes you over the finish line, gets you into the playoffs. And it, those wins don't come. You're gonna you're gonna see a lot of very nervous fans wondering what when when's it gonna happen? When are we get when are we gonna get it? And I I want I want I want them to get it. I I think it, the league is better when the two New York teams are competitive and in the playoffs. I don't actually remember the last time. Both the Jets and Giants made the playoffs. It's probably been a little while, maybe 2004 or um, maybe 2002. It's 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 been a hot minute since both the Jets and Giants made the playoffs in the same season. I want I want to see I want to see both of these teams get there, and I think they can. E- even even with the the problems that are that both teams have, whether it be quarterback or we have to face the best team in the in the conference two times in five weeks. Nobody wants to do that. So I'm that's why I'm glad they the Jets got the the first Bills game out of the way before the bye. And they won that game because that was that was huge. So they still got they still got two divisional games left, both on the road like I said, what, next week in Buffalo and then towards the end of the season, they got to go to Miami. And they've, they've already beaten Miami once. They've beaten Buffalo once. So if they can finish their divisional stretch three and three, I'm happy with that. The Giants, they need to win at least, they need, I think they need to win two of those three divisional games. So getting, getting a win in Washington, I think is, is paramount. And if they can, if they can find a way to beat Philadelphia next week, that will take a lot of the pressure off. Cause then they, then they know they've beaten them. 
That'll give them a lot of confidence. And that might be that might be the thing they need to get Odell Beckham to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign with them. Because he would be a huge help for the New York Giants to get a a target like him that teams could still have the game plan around. It's gonna be a fun month for football fans here in New York. I, I'm I'm excited for it, and it's the first time in a very long time that I've been excited for it. And if you're not, check your pulse because you you might be dead. I hope not. Or you're you're just, you just don't you just hate fun, and I would hate that for you too. Talking about some not fun things, unfortunately, as I it, it took a couple of days to process it, but now that we've seen that Jacob Degrom is now going to sign with the Texas Rangers. I, I, I was, I, I caught that as I was at work, and one of my coworkers, big Matt fan, I, when I told him, I, I just watched like the denial hit his face immediately. Like, no, he, there's no way he did that. And goes on social media, find, finds it, and sees it, and you see, you see the, the anger. Like, you, you, like, you, I was watching the five stages of grief happen in real time. And I feel I feel for Mets fans because Jacob Degrom is other than maybe other than Tom Seaver, kind of the best pitcher to ever put on a Met jersey, and that includes Dwight Gooden, that includes Nolan Ryan. That when you look at Met accomplishments, Jacob Degrom is right below Tom Seaver. But I also think the Mets actually made the right decision, and I think they may come out ahead in this one. Yes, DeGrom is your franchise player. Yes, everybody likes him. Yes, he's won two Cy Youngs. He won Rookie of the Year. He's the best, one of the best pitchers in the league. But, he's 34, and the Rangers gave him a five-year contract with a six-year option that could come up to $222 million. It's already five years at 185. Then you add another $37 million onto that. And I don't think Steve Cohen would have had a problem giving him that kind of money. Like he could, he could do that with his eyes closed if he wanted to. I, I think, I think the years were what scared him off. And we may find out more, you know, when he eventually does an interview and you know that'll be the first question that gets asked. What, what was the off, what was the biggest offer you gave to Grom? And maybe we find out that it was a three-year deal or that it was a four-year deal and that he didn't want to go years five and six. And that's that's his prerogative. And ultimately, I think he's right. We've seen DeGrom deal with injuries the last couple seasons. He made He's made fewer starts than you would want to see from your ace, especially someone who you're going to be paying 30-plus million dollars for. I had a, I had a friend text me this stat today and... Uh, this one actually really shocked me that over the course of the entire season, Jacob deGrom pitched only two more innings over the course of the season than Edwin Diaz did this year. That's, that's wild that DeGrom, that Edwin Diaz plays an entire season 
and DeGrom only has two innings more than he does. And that, that just goes to show you that he, that he's, over the last couple of years, he hasn't been reliable, that you, you can't count on him to be your pitcher every fifth day, because he's not there. So, while it, it's unfortunate to see him go, it may not be the worst thing in the world. There, prospects come and go. Players like that, it stings, but something will come from that. And whether that is they sign Justin Verlander for a couple of years, if that's the route they decide to go. If they sign Carlos Rodon with some of that money, I think that would be a good play for them to do. Resigning Nimmo, I believe, is a it's a huge thing that they need to do because they they need they need his bat in the lineup, they need his glove in the outfield. So now that you're not going to be paying Degrom forty million dollars a year, you can use that money on Nimmo. You can bring in a designated hitter. I actually thought that bringing Jose Abreu would have been a good good fit for them. And I'm a little bit mad that the Houston Astros did that because I really don't want the Yankees to have to face him anymore. I, I, I was really hoping that he would go to the National League, the Yankees would face him once and call it a day. But there, there's some there's some good bats out there for both the Mets and the Yankees to pick up. There's some good pitchers that both can pick up. And, of course, the biggest fish out there and the one in here that we say, where is he going to go? When's he going to sign? Is of course the 2022 American League MVP, the 62 home run man, Aaron Judge, and that's I think the Yankees' ultimate goal: sign him. I we, we've seen the Yankees not sign players for whatever reason that they they don't think it fits in the budget, or they don't, they don't fit the philosophy. This is Aaron Judge is one of those players that I I could really see George Steinbrenner rising from the dead and grabbing his son by the by the collar and saying, "If you don't sign him, you're replacing me in this coffin, and I'm taking over." Like that that wouldn't shock me. I mean, some somebody's got to have the Ouija board out, wondering how we can make that happen. I know, I know he's. In his thirties and giving seven, eight, nine year contracts to guys in their thirties generally doesn't end well. As we look at Albert Pujols' contract, as we look at Miguel Cabrera, those guys, they got old and they declined as most 35, 36, 37, 38 year olds do. You can't play at the level that you did at 20 that you, as you did at 38 unless your name is Barry Bonds and you had help. If you don't have help, you're going to decline. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule. Guys like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, who seem to be looking at time and saying, you're not catching me. I'm going to do this my way, and I'll leave when I want to. As Justin Verlander you know, wins the Cy Young, he's pitching at 39, I think better than he did in Detroit. The guy seems unhittable. I don't know how he's doing it. I, I'm impressed. I, I I really hope we don't find out that he's taking PEDs of any kind. I, that would 
that would bother me. And I, I'm curious to see where he winds up. I'm curious to see where, how much Judge signs for, and I'm hoping it's with the Yankees. I ultimately believe it's going to be with the Yankees. I don't think that the Steinbrenner family will let him go for what he means to the Yankee franchise. And I, I think even though, the, and even the fans who booed him during the ALCS because he was striking out, I think even they know that they would hate, they would hate that if he left. And not only that, but if you're the Yankees, you you built an experience around Aaron Judge. You built the judges' chambers. You sell the jerseys. You sell the bobbleheads. You had you basically set up. You set him up to be the captain of this team and to be to basically be the face of the franchise for as long as he wants. Where you go from Derek Jeter to Aaron Judge as the quintessential Yankee. To let him go would be a complete slap in the face to everyone. Just because you don't want to, you don't want to pony up that extra year. I, I think that's one of those you deal with the consequences later, and you make that move now, because honestly, I think you have to. Letting a guy like you, you can't replace Aaron Judge in the lineup right now with. Just one person. Like the production that he brings is three people, and are you bringing in three equivalent guys with the forty million that you'd be saving? I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if the production's out there to do it. And given the fact that you have so you have so many young players coming up that are going to be cost controlled, guys like. Anthony Volpe, Oswald Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, you have you have guys who are who aren't going to cost you a lot of money, so you can you can you can shell out for Aaron Judge now, and then deal with it later. Be it whether you trade somebody a few years down the road who's coming up on the arbitration years or coming up on a big payday you realize is expendable. But Aaron Judge is a person you cannot let leave the Bronx. Yeah, unless the unless the only other team I could see him signing with is the San Francisco Giants, and unless they blow him away with an offer, ten years, four hundred twenty million dollars, and you know his own private jet and you know office building in office building in Oracle Park, there is no reason. That he shouldn't be wearing 99 for the Yankees next season. That when the Giants play the Yankees on opening day, he better be wearing pinstripes. He better not be wearing a jersey that says Giants across the front. Cause that would just, that would upset the fan base. That would, I think that would upset the team. It wouldn't, it wouldn't upset Aaron Judge cause he would be getting paid a lot of money. And like, ultimately he can't lose in this situation. No matter what happens, he comes, he comes out a winner. And I, I know there's no such thing as loyalty and what one person might consider part of their legacy, another person might feel differently. But given that we don't see that many people spend their entire seat, their entire career with one franchise anymore, I kind of want to see him buck that trend. I want him to be that guy who stays for his entire career and becomes 
a Yankee all-timer. So I, I really hope he stays and doesn't leave. But speaking of leaving, that's it for me today. I got to thank Jay Fiedler. Got to thank my man Brian behind the glass. Got to thank all of you for listening. We want to wish everybody a happy holiday, and I'll be back sometime after the new year. So you guys enjoy the rest of your night. Happy holidays and enjoy. Thank you. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.